Hey everyone, it has been a while, hasn't it? This is Kevin. I am doing kind of a solo podcast thing. The last time Infinite Lives put out podcast would have been February 22nd, 2020. Today, it is May 2nd, 2020. It has been over two months. The world has gone into a very bad state in terms of COVID since that time. I mean, it was already in a bad state, but the U.S., start entering lockdowns and shelter in place and social distancing. And, you know, the guys, Dan, John, and I were, you know, keeping some distance. Obviously, they're keeping less. They live in the same, you know, uh, condo. So they're going to see each other a lot more close proximity. But I have been avoiding going to anyone's houses, anything like that. I have a job where I go out into public I don't want to do that, not necessarily, but it is a job where I go out in public, and because of that, I'm going to limit all of my interactions with other people. It's just what I'm going to do to be socially responsible, to do social distancing. Anyways, though, I know that a lot of shows, a lot of movies, a lot of things are being delayed. Entertainment is in short supply because things are not being made while COVID's going on. When it comes to, um, I don't know, video games, some of them are still on schedule to come out. Some are being delayed because people cannot get into the office to work on it. Only things that could have, like, remote, you know, working can actually happen. On the other hand, a lot of shows are not going through. Like, I am a huge fan of anime. I love One Piece. No One Piece episodes. One Piece has been running nonstop pretty much almost every week since, I think, 1999, 98, something like that. And it is on hiatus, which is kind of weird. I haven't gone without new One Piece or new to me One Piece in a long time, ever since I started watching it back in, like, 2016. Anyways... The world is weird because of that. So, I want to give you a little bit of entertainment, maybe a rundown of some games I've been playing, you know, some things that are kind of interesting. I take notes every week, or pretty much every day, when I play a game that's new or interesting or something like that, I take notes on it, and I have those notes for my next podcast recording. It has been a long time. You know how I know it's been a long time? My notes include things like this. Let's see. Um, all right. Following in the footsteps of several other major tech firms, including Sony and Facebook, Microsoft and Epic both said today that they will no longer be attending this year's Game Developers Conference, or GDC, due to the growing health risk posed by COVID-19, better known as the coronavirus. Also, Unity is not going to be showing up to GDC. Oh, I have a note, E3 2020 has been canceled. And, oh, the NBA has um, has at least gone on hiatus. And church is no longer in effect. People are not going to church. It has been a long time. These are some ancient notes, aren't they? So, anyways, let's talk about what games I've been playing. I have been playing quite a few. It has been a while. Not as many as some people, because I still am working every day. I am very thankful to be working. For those who can't work, that's horrible. That's one of the worst aspects of this, is people's finances are going to be hit really hard if they haven't already. On bright side, we have the government stimulus check, which is a bright side only if you consider that it is not enough for people who need it. And it is 
kind of wonky how they deliver it. For example, uh, my wife and I, we are owed 2400 in the COVID stimulus money that started going out like three weeks ago. It took up until this last week for them to even acknowledge that we have a, a status in their system. So take that for what it is. Yeah, this is all kind of weird. If you know anyone, if you are in a good financial place and you know anyone who is not, try and reach out and help them. You know, bad economy leads to people feeling depressed and hopeless and reaching out to people, you know, virtually reaching out. Don't physically reach out. We won't keep six feet apart, no gatherings, but reach out to people help support them, maybe order some groceries for people who can't afford it and get them delivered to their house, you know, just something nice for them. You know, we're all in this together, even if we're in it together apart. But anyways, what games have I been playing? Because there are a lot of them. I'm going to run down the list and give you some thoughts on some of my quarantine games. First off, Eagle Island. Eagle Island, I think, was a Kickstarter. It is a roguelite, or roguelike, I, I hate roguelite versus roguelike, because rogue was very much a certain type of game. So a roguelike should be very much a certain type of game. It ended up in modern times, meaning procedurally generated, and permadeath, which is only like some aspects of rogue, but whatever. It is a procedurally generated Metroidvania-style game. Um, so Eagle Island, you are a, a bird person. I don't remember what the falconeer, except it's not always falcons. You have birds that you throw out as your weapons and the birds can get different power ups over time where they could be charged with elements. And by using that, you could open new passageways is very much a, a Metroidvania in a lot of ways. So I tried playing it. I heard a lot of good things about it. I saw on some speedrun marathons people were going through Eagle Island, and it looked like something I could have a lot of fun with. I did not enjoy the game at all. The controls are incredibly weird feeling. Like, they feel too loose while also being too too tight while also feeling unresponsive and sometimes too responsive. Like, the controls are all over the place. And then also your health meter makes zero sense. So one time I'll get hit and it'll take off a quarter of a heart. The next time I get hit, it'll take off three quarters of a heart. Same thing hitting me, at least as far as I could tell. Same looking enemy, same environmental object, same something. And all it does is deals random damage. And being a game that's procedurally generated and all about permadeath, although I was playing, they have a mode where it's non-permadeath, which is how I prefer to do these, because I just want to enjoy the game some and try and play through and beat it. But yeah, going through it, even, you know, if it's a game that deals with uh, permadeath and procedurally generated and supposed to be hard but fair, it needs to be fair. And part of fair is you need tight controls that work responsibly, how you know them, how you know they should work. And at the same time, the other thing, you need a injury or damage system that makes sense. For example, Meat Boy, Super Meat Boy, that's a perfect example. The controls are very tight, very predictable. Same with Celeste, and both of them, it's one hit, one death. You're designed, you're meant to play through the game where you will die a lot, but you're not going to 
I don't know, you're not expected to damage boost through things. In a game like Eagle Island, where you have a health system, you're meant to take more than one hit before dying, it it doesn't seem right to play a game like that if the controls are going to be sloppy or overly rigid or unpredictable, and the health, it makes no sense how much damage you're taking. That doesn't work with a, you know, roguelite. Roguelike? Roguelite? What? I hate those terms. I haven't had coffee also. I'm getting this podcast in before even being caffeinated for the day. So in our game I've been playing, I am still playing Xenogears on PlayStation emulation. I have the actual game. I just want to emulate on computer because I do not have a good capture card and I want to be able to get as many of my, um, oh no, game systems through emulation as possible for things like Extra Life, so I could stream them. And PlayStation seemed like a good one to go with, so I was playing more Xenogears. That's a fantastic game. It is great playing it on emulator, because there are a few spots in the game where you do grind, and having it on emulator like RetroArch, I'm using RetroArch, which is a really cool emulating like hub where you can have a bunch of different cores for emulating a bunch of different uh, console types and it will rip your PlayStation game, put it onto a computer and that way you could just play it off the computer. Load times are a lot better. It has a fast forward button so when you're grinding you could just fast forward and blast through fights. So I was blasting through fights at about four to eight times their normal speed, getting my levels up getting some money, and then I could play through the game normal and cool how I like it. Xenogears is, without doubt, my favorite game of all time. I love it. It's a great RPG, great cool battle system. The mythos and the story and the backstory and the narrative are all really cool things that deal with mysticism, religion, the thought of reincarnation, as well as a lot of good sci-fi elements. Like, it has so much going on with it. There's political drama. It is a really cool game. It is amazing. And I just never really liked the slow parts, the slog of grinding through levels, of grinding out your special moves, getting money, yada yada. I also didn't care for a few loading screens were way too slow on on the console. For example, I just got through Kislev, where you do a bunch of uh, fighting tournaments. The fighting is one thing I do not care for. It's not your normal fighting, it's a mech fighting tournament, and it becomes kind of a 3D, you know, fighting game. You know, think Tekken or something like that, where you're controlling these mechs and you're switching up, like, combos and stuff like that. I never really liked it much. It was, wasn't impossible. It just was kind of a annoyance. But the loading for it, if you fail, took forever. But using a fast-forward button on emulator... Boom! You are there. You just get the fight started. If things go good, I always quick save before starting the fight. Things go good. You're good. Doing our quick save. If things go bad, just a quick load. Because here's the secret. You don't get penalized for losing in these fights. Not real penalty. You just lose a lot of time. It's a time sink. And I'd rather not have that. Alright, let's see. Next game, because I could talk Xenogears forever, but eh, you should know that game by now. Hopefully you know it. If you don't, 
try and pick it up somewhere. It is available as a PlayStation Classic on PS3 or on a Vita. I love playing it on the Vita. It is such a great Vita game. I wish I knew where my Vita was. I lost it when I moved uh, about two years ago. Wow, it's been two years since I moved into my house. I like that. Reminder of time passing, because we all need that nowadays, because with COVID, it feels like time is frozen. So I guess next game coming up is We Met in May. We Met in May is a game made by Nina Freeman and her boyfriend. I do not know his name. I'm actually going to look that up right now. It is a game available on Steam. It's a really short game. It's kind of a cool thing. I'm going to the store page right now. So it is made by Nina Freeman, uh, Jake Jeffries, and Ryan Yoshikama. Yoshikami, sorry about that. Um, so it's pretty much a game about Nina Freeman's relationship and meeting her boyfriend, um, which I believe is Jake Jeffries. I think they might be engaged now. I don't know. I Forgive me, I do not keep up on relationship stuff or whatever's going on, but... It is a cool little game. It is $5. Some people would argue it is way too short for the price. If you're one of those people, I don't like you. It is a game that, let's see, I finished it in 28 minutes. I played through all of it, and you can play through multiple times if you want. It's a cool little, like, just a few different stories from when they met. So, for example, Nina Freeman, if you don't follow her, she does Twitch stuff. She used to work for, um, oh, the, the company that made um, Gone Home, Fulbright, I believe it is. And she's gone indie recently, and she's made some cool things about her her own personal experiences. Seabell was a really cool game that she made that was all about meeting a boyfriend on the um, through a MMORPG when she was in high school. She also had another one or two games that were kind of cool. Um, they're always personal games, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, I believe she's behind How Do We Do It? or I think that's what it's called, about um, your little girl who's trying to figure out sex by mashing dolls together. It's, her games are awkward in a very honest type of way, which is really cool. So anyways, We Met in May is all about her meeting her um, her current SO, significant other, and it's just a bunch of little stories. Like one of them is the first time that um, he came over to her apartment. She's very much a geek and very, you know, proud out in, you know, out there and obvious in being a geek. So she has a bunch of anime stuff, an anime body pillow, things like that. And when he comes over to her apartment, you get to play as her trying to steer the conversation. And you could choose, do you want to hide um, objects, stand in front of them, try and obscure them? Do you just be honest about what you what you like, who you are? It's just a really cool game with a really neat art style to it. It has kind of a watercolor type of painting type of look. It's really cool if you like things that are just kind of awkward, but very honest. Like, it makes, it reminds me a lot of myself. Uh, another um, vignette in it is um, your uh, significant other. So Jake Jeffries, I guess, would be who this is, is cooking. 
and you are trying to pinch his nipples, playing as Nina Freeman. Another one, it's both of you on the sand at a beach, and you're just, I don't know, burying each other in sand and enjoying, like, being on the beach. It's hard to explain this game, really, but it is just a really cool, like, personal type of story. And I'm kind of a fan of these personal stories. They they are really interesting to see. They make things a lot of fun. Um, let's see, shifting gears. Another one I played through is Crusader of Senti. So I have been streaming quite a bit. If you want to see anything I'm streaming, uh, check me out at Hepinwana on Twitter, and I announce when I'm doing my streams. Um, I mean, that way, if you want to see it, you could... Then find my channel on YouTube, subscribe if you want. I'm not doing that whole uh, follow, like, subscribe thing. I'm just saying the time and day that I stream is not always constant. So if you subscribe or follow, you will at least know when it's happening. But anyways, I streamed through the entirety of Crusader of Senti, which is one of my favorite Genesis games. It's a Zelda-style game. It is incredibly easy. I mean, it is easy. It's not that long. I want to say it's only about five hours long. It's a really cool game, though, with some cool ideas. You have a bunch of animal companions that team up with you. And you could equip two of them at a time. They will give you different abilities. So, like, there's a Diplodocus, I think it is. Think Loch Ness Monster who joins you. If you have that as one of your companions that's equipped, you will ride the Loch Ness Monster. It protects you from floor hazards and slippery floors are easy to navigate. There's also, like, a penguin when you, uh, so you could charge up your sword, and when you let go of it, you'll throw it. If you have the penguin, that thrown sword will have an ice element attached to it. There's a cheetah. If the cheetah's equipped, and you always want the cheetah once you get it, you move faster, you double your speed. There's also uh, one that will improve the speed of your sword, including how quick you could charge it up to throw it again. There's one that will increase the effectiveness of everything. So if you uh, equip it and you equip the cheetah, you'll move at four times speed so fast that if you run into a wall, you will like bonk off of it. You don't take damage, but you hit so hard that you bounce off of it. It's kind of a cool little thing. Or you could have double ice. You could have double fire if you have the lion equipped in this. Um, I think it's the moa that increases your your um, effectiveness of the other animal. It is just a cool game that deals with the question of what is a hero and what is a monster? So you are a 14-year-old kid on the day of your 14th birthday. You are given a sword and you're told you are to be a hero for the kingdom. Go off to training grounds and be cool. And along the way, you run into a fortune teller who is some sort of mystical person who takes away your ability to talk to people. Instead, you have the ability to talk to animals and plants. But now you cannot understand people at all. And it's a very interesting game in the regards of you start to have, or 
interesting in a very cliche type of way. You start to have conversations with animals, realizing why they don't like humans. Eventually, you're talking to monsters. You start changing history, and the game starts with this opening, like, movie, if you don't hit the start button, about long ago in an age forgotten, monsters broke through the barrier of their world into ours. And in the end of the game, spoilers for a game from 1992, I think, or 93, but at the end, you end up going back in time, you find out the monsters never want to fight humans. Humans raised the sword first, and monsters were defending themselves and just got a bad rap because they looked monstrous. So you go back in time to when that barrier opened, and you quickly reopen it and let the monsters get back to their home. And then it flash forwards to your 14th birthday, where you're no longer getting a sword. You're no longer going out to be a hero. The legendary hero from your time who's running around with a sword, you see him from time to time, and you realize he's kind of a dingus. He's kind of a jackass. He is now locked up in the castle dungeon instead of monsters because monsters don't exist and he's just a violent jerk it's a really cool game if you do want to play it it is a genesis game from a long time ago i mean if you i'm not going to say rom pirating stuff like that that's wrong but if you do want to play it where at least it's gray area on the legality and it's a way to get it pretty easily get the genesis classic um games on Steam. Get, I believe it is Revenge of Shinobi. Um, let me see. Sega, uh, Sega Genesis, or Sega Master Drive and Genesis Classics. And I will go to the workshop and I will look up Crusader. And so Crusader of Senti is a Steam workshop add-on. Um, oh, it doesn't say which game you have to have. I believe it's a mod for Revenge of Shinobi, though. So if you want to play that, um, oh, there's also one that's a mod for um, Alex Kid in the Enchanted Castle. So if you load up the Genesis Classics and you have, let's say, Alex Kid in the Enchanted Castle and you subscribe to this mod, you could then hit the mod button, mod in Crusader of Senti, play through the game. It's a good way of playing it that's questionable on if it's legal or not. I'm not sure the legality of it, but yeah, it's a way to play it. Anyways, let's see. Next up, another game I played would be Kuso. So Kuso and... Kuso is an interesting speedrun-friendly, um, one-hit, one-death rhythm, very good music, very, I don't know what you call these, challenging splatformers. Let's call it a splatformer. So Kuso is a splatformer. It's a sequel of the game Life. Life is another splatformer, just like Kuso. Real good music, very simplistic graphics, very tight controls, it's a game where you, in life, you go through 16 stages. Kuso has 25 new stages, I believe it is. You start a stage. If you die, you respawn where you started, or you could put down a checkpoint at any place. And if you put down a checkpoint, you die, you'll respawn there. The thing is, if you put a checkpoint somewhere where a moving object of doom, like let's say a moving saw blade or projectile, if it would hit the checkpoint 
it will destroy that checkpoint and you will then restart if you die at the very beginning of that screen again. So it's type of thing where you get checkpoints. It's a matter of where do you want to use them? Uh, where do you want to put them down? Where's safe? Also, you kind of break your rhythm to use them because using an Xbox controller, it's A button to jump. B button or um, X button to put down a checkpoint, then Y button you could kill yourself to respawn at your checkpoint. And it's pretty much a challenge to slide your finger to hit that checkpoint sometimes. So you kind of break your rhythm. It's a very quick game if you're good at it. I've actually started to take up practicing for speedrunning. I am going to speedrun this game. Um, so looking at Kuso going to speedrun.com, the, um, I would probably play what's known as Love Plus Kuso any percent. Love, the original 16 levels of love are in Kuso. And it is to play through all of those any percent. I am right now good enough score to be six out of, there are six people listed, so I would bump the sixth place to seventh. I am getting close to being good enough to be fifth place, so I'm probably going to start speedrunning and streaming doing that coming up, because it's just a really cool game. It's hard to explain exactly what it looks like, but my advice, give a look on Steam and see what it looks like, because if it's a game you enjoy, it is really cool. Alright, anyway, sorry I got distracted there, and I just actually hit pause, because I was getting a phone call. So, anyways, sorry about that. But yeah, give a look at Kuso, K-U-S-O. Check it out if you enjoy platformers like Super Meat Boy or um, Celeste. It's a really cool one. It's not that long if you're good at it. Um, right now, I am running through all 41 stages, however many stages there are of Kuso and Love put together. Um, I am going through all of that in about 25 minutes. Uh, I'd say for most people it'd take a lot longer. I just really love this game, so I have become really good at it. And that's why I want to speedrun it. Anyways, Kuso, it's a cool game. And it's really cheap. And the guy who made it is making a sequel of Love 3 coming up, hopefully before too long. I want more. It's a great type of game. It's a lot of fun if you like it. Another thing I played was Ori and the Will of the Wisp came out since the last time there was, you know, uh, Infinite Lives podcast. And this game continues the story from Ori and the Blind Forest. It is a lot like Ori and the Blind Forest. It's a somewhat difficult platform, crazy platformer type feel, um, Metroidvania. It is very easy die if you try and get sloppy. It's a type of game where you need to think through things. You can't just brute force everything. The main difference between Ori and the Will of the Wisp and Ori and the Blind Forest, combat is a lot heavier of a a element in Will of the Wisp. So in Blind Forest, you barely you barely did any real fighting. You would use like this little fairy fire attack you had to hurt just some uh regular enemies on the screen. You didn't have, like, boss fights. Instead of boss fights, you had boss run-away-froms. This game, 
there are boss fights. There are quite a few boss fights. There's also kind of a city hub that you develop as you play the game. You have a lot more things to purchase. You don't have quite the level up system of Blind Forest. Instead, you have more of a, you could purchase upgrades and you could upgrade abilities, get new abilities. You could equip different weapons. So like early on, you get the equivalent of like a Oh no, think of it like a saber or a sword. And then you can end up getting like other weapons such as projectiles that will cost energy to use. Your sword is free to use. You'll get a big hammer-like attack that it is free to use. It's more powerful than the sword and it can be used to open some areas. I did not realize that for the longest time. My advice, if you play through Ori and the Will of the Wisp and it's a really freaking awesome game, make sure you buy the hammer and use that to break weak floors. That is how you break them. It did not spell that out. I wish it had. That is probably one of my complaints about Ori and the Will of the Wisp is it is tutorial light. It assumes you know more than you should know. And because it is different than um, Blind Forest, it is making a bad assumption that you would know things like how to break the floor below you for um, weak floors when I want to say Ori and the Blind Forest had maybe a ground pound attack or something like that. This instead has a hammer that is like a purchasable ability. It's optional and you don't need to ever break the ground, but you're not going to get 100% by a long shot if you don't break these weak grounds. But Ori and the Will of the Wisp, it continues the story exactly where it left off on Ori and the Blind Forest. So if you remember where that game ended, that's where this picks up. And it has some great, like, catching up what's been going on with with Ori and all of our friends. Because Ori did have a few different friends, including made some friends along the way on the first game. And you can see what they're up to Um There's some cool stuff that goes on. It also has a good explanation for at least why one of your abilities is not with you at the beginning, because it is just like any Metroidvania type of game that is a sequel. Samus Aran always starts a new mission to a new planet to exterminate Metroids and kill space pirates without her missiles, without her morph ball, without her... um, double jump without her space jump, her various suit, her gravity suit, her anything, her bombs. And that's what happens with this. They do explain at least why you don't have your glide ability. Because if you played the original, you could pull out a feather. It's one of your abilities. And if you hold this feather over your head, you'll slowly descend. You'll kind of parachute. And if you use it where there is an updraft, you will go flying up into the air. They explain what happened that feather. But the game's really good. I had a blast with it. I got 100%. I do not 100% things. That is not who I am. But I 100%ed this. It took me 15 hours. I didn't get every achievement because I am not a Chivo person. But I had a lot of fun playing through the game. I found all collectibles. I upgraded all shards. I did a whole lot of really good things. It's a fun game. The story's really cool. The final boss kind of sucks. 
I'm just going to say it. The final boss, I did not care for. Luckily, they give you a lot of, you get a lot of checkpoints. I mean, they, they checkpoint during the final boss. So it's a multi-phase type of thing. And you get checkpoints pretty much at every phase, which is really good because I hate games that do not checkpoint you on long bosses because I, you make one wrong button press and you end up having repeat way too long of a boss. I forget what game it was not too long ago that I was playing that had the same, um, like big long multi-part boss at the end, but it did not give you any checkpoints. And I ended up getting very fed up with this game. I'm trying to remember what it was, but uh, looking through my Steam things, I am just not quite seeing it. Oh, man, it's a game I really enjoyed. I talked about it. Oh, Treasure Adventure World. I love Treasure Adventure World. I talked about it on the podcast, like, oh, back in July of 2019 was when I was playing it. And I hated the final boss. I never beat the game. I wish I did. But the final boss was multi-part, and it was garbage. It didn't tell you how to do anything, how to hurt it, and you just kept dying and had to repeat every phase. So Ori does a good thing. It doesn't necessarily tell you what the hell you're doing during some of these phases of the final boss, but it does give you checkpoints. I love checkpoints. All right, another game, The Adventures of Elena Temple, which I'm not going to talk too much about. I'll just say it is a old DOS-looking type of game, type of thing you'd almost, if you grew up on an Apple II uh, something, to C, to D, to E in your classroom, this looks like a game you would have played on it. It is a small little adventure game, and it is very simple. You're going through a... A bunch of screens. It's like a, I want to say it's like a five by five grid of screens and you're just trying to pick up coins and other collectibles so you can exit out and collect the final treasure. You're Elena Temple, who is think Indiana Jones type. You're an explorer trying to find, um, artifacts from the past. You know, you're finding the lost treasures of different temples and tombs. And when you beat the game, you have three different scenarios you could play through, and they give you cheats every time you beat the game. You'll get double jump, you'll get, um, like, invincibility, I think it is. I forget what all the cheats were offhand. It's been a while since I played this, but it is a pretty cool game. It's short, it's sweet, it's two-point, and you could emulate the look of different old-school uh, consoles and computers. So you can have a green and black monochrome, like you're playing on an Apple IIe. You can have black and white, like you're playing on a Mac Classic. You can have, like, basic Game Boy look to it. You can have all sorts of different, like, color looks to give it, like, a different feel. It's a cool little short game. It is definitely not long. It is very not long. I mean, it's... Let's see, I played for 104 minutes and got through essentially the entire game. But it's a lot of fun if you have nostalgia for those, for that era of games. Also, it's only five bucks. Five bucks ain't that bad. And right now, if you could throw money to a game developer, throw some money out there to an indie developer. Like, everyone's hurting right now. I've also been playing Animal Crossing New Horizons on the Switch. 
That game is really something special. It came out at the perfect time because it is such a great game to play when you are in social distancing. You could go to other people's islands. I mean, you all know what Animal Crossing is. I've been playing this one for, I think, about five weeks now. I know it's been more than 30 days for sure. Time doesn't have any meaning anymore, does it? I mean, am I the only one who feels like I don't know what day of the week it is, what time of day it is? I don't know what I should be doing. Like, oh, quarantine is a, a thing that just screws up your head. You know what? We swear on this. It's a mind fuck. Quarantine is a mind fuck. That, that's my swear for this episode. I don't feel like swearing all that much. I don't have things to swear about. Maybe I will swear more. I don't know. Anyways, Animal Crossing New Horizons. It is fun. It is good. The only parts I do not like in this game is there are some quality of life issues Nintendo needs to improve. They have put out updates for this game that have not helped the game. For example, they recently put one out because people were time traveling, which could be viewed as cheating depending on who you are but they were time traveling. You can only do so many things in a day on that game, and time of day will affect what fish you could find, what bugs you could find. Month of the year will affect these things. And so what people would do, they would do as much as they could for a day, time travel forward a day, do a bunch more, time travel forward by disconnecting from the internet, you turn off the console, you change the system clock, you load the game again. And because of this, a lot of people have fully paid off everything. I am not time traveling. I'm enjoying the game at my own pace. I have not finished upgrading my house all the way. I'm just enjoying it. But because Nintendo did not care for that, they nerfed how much interest you get for bells in the bank. Bells being your money if you haven't been playing Animal Crossing. Every month on the first of the month, you get interest for what's in your bank account. Your interest now amounts to garbage. Because Nintendo thought that's how people were cheating. It's not. I mean, really, it's not. So, instead, Nintendo also changed the spawn rates for bugs. Because they thought people were cheating too much off of different bugs. You catch a bug, you sell it, and certain bugs are worth more than others, obviously. Like, you know, a stink bug is not going to be worth that much. But a very rare butterfly, like a peacock butterfly, will be worth far more. <clears throat> and Nintendo decided to nerf out the spawn rate for a lot of the more expensive um, insects, which is kind of a shame because it also means running around my island, I used to have a lot of beautiful, like, cool-looking bugs. Now I just have stink bugs on everything. Just a lot of stink bugs. So that was kind of not cool about the game. And I wish when they're doing updates, they'd improve quality of life stuff. For example, a great quality of life thing that they should do on this game, allow me to craft more than one of something at a time, make crafting a lot quicker. So for example, if you dig up a clam, you could use that clam to make fish bait. And you it's one clam becomes one fish bait. You use fish bait, throw it in the water, a fish will spawn right then and there. And you could use that to just fish for a long time. It's kind of fun and therapeutic, and you might get something worth some good money, some good bells. However, to make the fish bait, you go to a crafting bench, and then it says, do you want to craft? Yes. 
And then you go and find the fish bait in your menu. Brightside, once you select it the first time, it will memorize your spot in your crafting recipe menu. Then you have to hit the button to say, I want to craft the fish bait. Then it says, like, do you want to craft this? And you have to say yes. And then it goes, I'm crafting it. Then it does a little animation of you, do, 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 do. you're hitting things and making dust. And then you hold up your fish bait over your head. And then it says, do you want to craft another? Yes. And then it goes into your menu. Luckily, it remembered where you're at, but then you have to hit the A button again. Then it goes, are you sure you want to craft this? And you say yes. And it goes, doom, 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 dust flying up. And then you hold it up in the air and you go like, hee And then it goes, do you want to craft another? Yes. If you have been digging up a bunch of clams and you just want to make a bunch of fish bait, I just want to rush through it. Let me make 10 fish bait at a time if I so feel. Give me a how many would you like to craft button. So that's kind of annoying. Also, your tools break. So in this game, because there's crafting, your tools will break. In Animal Crossing games, you always had like a slingshot, because sometimes a balloon with a present on it will float overhead, and you could use slingshot to shoot down the balloon. And when you do that, you get a free gift. You also have a shovel for digging up flowers if you want to transplant them, or digging up fossils. You have a fishing rod, obviously. You have a bug net for catching bugs. You also have an axe for cutting down trees and collecting wood from trees. You also have a couple others that don't break. They're transversal, so there's a ladder for climbing up to a higher plateau or down to a lower level. There's also a a vaulting pole, so you could, like, pole vault across rivers until you have bridges. Those won't break, but everything else, your tools will break. And it is not hard to replace them. You go to a tree, you shake it repeatedly, branches will fall out. You pick up five branches, you could craft a new fishing rod, you could craft a new bug net. If you need a new shovel, take an axe. Let's say you don't have an axe. Shake a tree until you get five branches. Find a rock or hit a rock until rocks come out of it. Take one rock. Five branches, you have an axe. Go to a tree, hit it with that axe repeatedly, three pieces of wood will come out. Hit another tree until you end up with five hardwood. There's hardwood, softwood, and wood. Once you have five hardwood, you go to your crafting bench and you make yourself a shovel. You go also from the Nook Knack, the main shop in town, you could buy a flimsy fishing rod, shovel, watering can. That's another one. Watering can. Those break. How does a watering can break? I have a few watering cans around my house because I'm a gardener. I have plants on my deck. I've never been watering those plants on my back deck and then had my watering can just poof into nothingness. I have a shovel that I have beaten up in my garage. Not beaten up in my garage. It's in my garage. I've beaten it up digging up things. I have had this shovel for 10 years, 12 years, more. I don't even know. It's never broken on me. But in this game, your tools will break, and there is nothing more disappointing than seeing a bug, a rare one, and you see, let's say, two rare bugs. You catch the first one, and your bug net breaks, and now you can't get that second one. Until you go to a workbench or to a knick-knack and buy a new one or craft a new one. It is a complete waste of time. It is incredibly dumb. It feels tedious. I get 
I'm not a fan of weapons breaking on Zelda um, Breath of the Wild. I was not a fan of weapons breaking, but I get the idea. It was to get you to try different weapons, to experiment, and to cycle through different things. That was okay in theory. This, you're not trying new tools. You are always trying the same fishing rod. You can upgrade it to a non-flimsy one if you want. Flimsy breaks quicker than the non-flimsy. But for that, you have to use one iron, one lump of iron, with your flimsy fishing rod. So it just adds more time of crafting when you really don't want that. I just want to enjoy the game without having to worry about carrying a bunch of branches on me at all times. And I have to have on my island strategically placed crafting stations where I know, hey, I do a lot of fishing here. I have a crafting workbench on the beach by my fishing area. Hey, a lot of cool bugs used to, before that update, appear in this area. So I have a crafting bench up there. It's it's dumb. It's annoying. But other than that, the game's a lot of fun. It's very relaxing. It's very chill. If you don't try to play like you're trying to win the game, but instead you're just trying to relax, it's kind of cool. Watching the interactions of the different animal, you know, neighbors that move to your island is pretty cool. I have on one plateau that I call Little Japan, because it's two guys living on this plateau, I built around their homes a um, Zen-style wall is the type of wall. It's kind of Asian. It's I can't tell if it's Bobi Japanese, Korean, or Chinese. There's a lot of overlap on this look of, of fence or wall. But inside of that wall is Walt and Octavian. Walt is a kangaroo who wears a kimono, and he has a lot of Japanese type of items in his house. Octavian is an octopus who um, has a lot of space stuff in his house. His floor is a moon floor. His uh, wallpaper is a the moon scenery, like it's the view from the moon. He has a, a UFO, a satellite, a couple rockets. But the two of them live up in Little Japan together. And they're both grumpy old men, and they will have arguments with each other and ask you to determine who's the most cantankerous, who's the grumpiest, who's the most bitter about life. I also have uh, Cherry. I guess some people don't like Cherry. I love Cherry. I think Cherry's awesome. And she will just all of a sudden break into song while hanging out in the town plaza. And it is so cool. Like, different people interact in different ways. and. Just having a fun time chilling with them is so good. And then some of the houses are crazy. I have um, Gunter, I think it was, who is a bear who, I think he's a polar bear. Inside his house, he wears a toga. Inside his house is a Roman bathhouse type of look, except there's a toilet just sitting there. And you could go in his house when he's there, and sometimes he'll be reading a book on his toilet just inside his front door. This game is awesome. It's a lot of fun. I have been having a lot of fun with it. Right now I'm working on a special project because my wife and I are playing together. And if you're playing off of one Switch, you have to have the same island. So she and I are working on the same island, improving it together. 
And we have some cool projects. So um, beyond Little little Japan, we have the Rich People Island, which is where Gunter and someone else lives. And um, we walled it off with like a fancy uh, stone wall. They have a swimming pool. They have outdoor benches and clocks. So, like it's a fancy island. We have a what we call the bamboo um, bamboo park, I think where it's a bunch of, like, bamboo, uh, rock arches, a rock reflecting pool. We have the second museum. So beyond the museum that Blathers runs, we have any uh, repeat fossils. We Instead of selling them, we're assembling one of each big fossil up on one of the tallest mountains in our town. It's going to be our outdoor museum. We also have a project I'm putting together. She doesn't know what it is. I'm not going to say what it is in case she listens to this. You can only special order from the um, from the game's uh, online shop. You can only special order five things per day. One of them is almost always going to be me buying a KK Slider song because there's going to be usually a new KK Slider song, at least new to me. Leaves four items left I can order. I need about 40 to 50 items for my current project. I've been working at it for about three days, so it's going to be a few days still, but it's going to be a real cool project. I'll probably share it on social media after I get it done. It's just kind of fun, but yeah, it, Animal Crossing, it is a lot of fun. If you have a Switch, it is a good way to feel not quite as trapped in the house. Another game I have played is, so I bought a HT, or not HT. I bought a Valve Index to replace a HTC Vive. Um, so Valve Index, the Valve, you know, Steam VR headset that, you know, Valve was working on. And it had special hand controllers. So I bought that a while ago. I talked about it quite a bit on the podcast about my adventures of incompatibility. One thing with getting that is after they announced Half-Life Alex, they said everyone who bought the the um, Valve Index would get Half-Life Alex for free. So Half-Life Alex came out. I have been playing it for free. So how is Half-Life Alex? It is it is a game. On one hand, I'm not the biggest Half-Life fan. I never played all the way through Half-Life 1, never played all the way through Half-Life 2, never played at all Half-Life 2 Episode 1 or Half-Life 2 Episode 2. I do not know all that much about these games. I just know the Gravity Gun, the Crowbar, and I did play a little of the uh, Black Mesa redo or whatever when it was a fan project that just upped the graphics to crazy levels of the original Half-Life. That was pretty cool. But I am not a Half-Life, like, specialist. I do not know the narrative. I do not know the lore. So Half-Life Alex takes place five years before the ep- before Half-Life 2 takes place, I think it is. You play as Alex, who is, I guess she's like 18 year old. I do not know. I really don't. But you have a buddy who um, is voiced by Reese Darby. Reese Darby, if you don't know who that is, um, he is the, um, he's been on things like, I believe, What We Do in the Shadows, um, Flight of the Concords, probably, possibly, and if you watch the Voltron Netflix series, he is the guy who, um, 
I forget his name, but was kind of the butler of the castle. Really, really standout voice. He has a very goofy sounding voice. So, um, Reese Darby, he plays a guy named Russell in Half-Life Alex, and he's kind of your buddy on the phone. He is the guy who's going to be talking to you through your, um, your uh, walkie-talkie or radio throughout the game, making very good observations, very humorous things, keeping the game kind of fun and lighthearted, which is good because Half-Life Alex becomes kind of a horror show at a few points. There are head crabs running around, there are zombie-like things, there are creepy crawlies of all sorts, and there are some areas that go pitch black, and in VR, pitch black is very frightening. You end up getting a flashlight for one hand. <clears throat> so the way the game plays, it has a dominant hand, and you can pick left or right. It's nice enough to let you. And a move hand. So the dominant hand, by default settings, will be the, the hand that controls your gun. It's the only hand that can hold a gun. You cannot dual wield. The other hand is your move hand, and you could use the, like, for me, using a valve index controller that has a little thumbstick, you could use the thumbstick to trigger up where you'll teleport to. You'll do short teleporting hops to control your movement. And so that hand also is your light. So it is what you use to shine a flashlight. So if you're not pointing your, your move hand at something in the dark, you will not see it which can be very creepy, trying to aim both of your hands, the gun hand and the flashlight hand, to hear or to find where you're hearing the scuttling, the of a head crab in the dark or the moaning of a zombie. It is frightening as can be. Also, your, your move hand, which is your light hand, if you run out of ammo on your gun, you need to reach into your backpack, physically reach to grab ammo and pop it into your gun. And then you have to pull back the slide on your gun. Or with your shotgun, you need to, um, like, close it up. I don't know proper terminology for that. It's a double-barrel shotgun, so it kind of clicks open to load shells into it. And also, you can fling it back to close it up. <clears throat> but anyways, when you are in the dark, if you run out of ammo... All of a sudden, your flashlight is having to reach behind your back, then load a clip into your gun, pull the slide back, then you could use your flashlight again, and the whole time, you are scared out of your wits. The game can get very frightening. It is kind of cool. It's kind of fun. It occasionally becomes very frustrating when you can't tell what you're supposed to do at a few points. Like, there are a few points where I literally became lost, one time I became confused, so I streamed most of this game or recorded and uploaded most of the game. There was one point where I stopped a recording because I didn't know what to do. There was a crate in front of me. I just got the submachine gun from this crate, and beyond the crate was very obviously where I needed to go. But the crate was blocking me, and I couldn't move it. I had no idea what to do. I was completely stumped. I quit playing. I stopped my recording. I went online, looked up what the answer was. There was one piece of ammo in that crate for the submachine gun that I didn't pick up. I had to pick up that one bit of ammo, then I could move the crate. The crate was physically locked in place until I picked up all the ammo that was in it, which made no sense. So there are certain things where the game feels wonky or dumb. I am not a fan of that. 
Um, also, I kept getting tangled in my headset. You know, my VR headset has a cable coming off of it, and I got tangled repeatedly. There were a few times it wanted me to reach up too high, and I smacked my hands onto the um, track lighting in my studio. One time, I left myself bleeding a bit. So, VR games need to stop having things way up high you have to reach for, because sometimes that doesn't work. The combat sometimes became way too hard. I started the game on normal. I moved it down to easy because aiming was a pain. My advice, if you do play Half-Life Alex, you can upgrade your three guns. You have your submachine gun, last one you get, a shotgun that you never get enough ammo for, and a pistol. Pistol is your main gun. Save up your upgrade items, your resin. You use resin to upgrade your weapons. Save your upgrades for laser sights. You want a laser sight on your pistol. Once you have that, the game goes from un unmanageable to being kind of fun. However, the combat still is very difficult. You could get overwhelmed in a hurry, trying to aim at things, trying to reload, trying to maintain your composure while tangled up in your headset cable is not fun. The game is beautiful, though. It is When it is fun, it is a lot of fun. When it's not fun, it is a pain in the ass. There are a lot of times you don't know what's going on. About chapter 8 or 9, all of a sudden the enemies start doing a lot more damage, even on easy mode, which is what I was playing. Below easy, there is story mode. I did not quite want to go story mode, but I got close to doing that. At the very end, you get a new weapon. I'm not going to say what it is. I'm not going to spoil. I did stream this, so if you check out my stream archive, you'll see it. You get a final weapon that they do not explain at all, and I just kept dying because I don't know what it wanted from me. I actually had to look it up after I beat the game, and then it made sense. Because even beating the game, I still didn't understand how this weapon worked. Um... There is one chapter called Jeff that is frightening as all get out. It is a zombie that is unkillable, is coming after you. It cannot see you. It is completely blind, but it will go off of sense of hearing. And you have to try and lure it away from time to time by grabbing a bottle or a brick or something and throwing it off into the distance. It was very frightening. That game is creepy when it gets creepy. <clears throat> but in short, if you do have a chance to play VR, it is definitely worth giving a shot. I don't think it's worth its full price, because if you did not buy the Valve Index, it is a $60 game. It is a long game. I will say it is a long game. I played it for a total of 13 hours. Keep in mind, VR, you, you cannot play that all in one sitting. Um, you can only play in a VR headset for like an hour to two hours before it really just makes you feel not good. You get overheated, and having things sitting on your head that long is not fun. Your eyes get kind of tired. So 13 hours, that's like 13 play sessions. Well, let's call it 7 to 13 play sessions. It is a good amount of game. I just don't think it's quite worth the price because it is kind of annoying. 
Like, when it is not good, when it doesn't tell you what's going on, it could be a pain. The loading times are also horrible. Anytime you die, you really don't want to die in this game, because when you die, my computer is pretty powerful. I have a i7 um, overclocked. I've, I forget what speed I'm running at. I don't want to pull that up right now. I've got um, 48 gig of RAM. I'm running a 1080 Ti. I... I have a very good computer. This is running off of a um, SSD drive. Every time I reloaded from dying, it could take upwards of, oh, I'd say two to four minutes for some loading screens. When you finish a stage and you're loading the next chapter, it can sit for five minutes. And the worst thing is, it can also freeze up at this point. And if it freezes, you don't know. You just sit there for five minutes until you go, I'm pretty sure it's not working. So, yeah, that's not the coolest. Um, the game does have some issues. But overall, it was a good fun escape. I, I will say it came out at the right time because of COVID. Being able to go out into a different environment while staying in was kind of good. So the one other game I have played, it is a game that... Just like with Animal Crossing, it is a big game. A lot of people are talking about. I played through the Final Fantasy Remake. Or should I say Final Fantasy Remake Part 1? Because they, I guess some people who were not following this game closely were not aware. It is only the beginning of remaking Final Fantasy 7. It is not the whole game. It is only up through Midgar. If you played the original game, it is only up through you leaving Midgar. And that's not a spoiler, I'm sorry, but if I say something about the original Final Fantasy VII that came out in 1996, and you feel it's a spoiler, it came out in 1996. This game, Final Fantasy VII, is old enough to drink, and it is almost old enough to no longer be uh, pulled into the draft if the draft is enforced, because that typically runs through 25 years old, and this game's 24 years old. But... It's an old game. Spoilers. Aerith dies in the original. As for in the remake, I don't know. They, here's the cool thing. It does change some elements of the original game. There are some changes in the story. Um, they're not drastic changes or anything, but they also add a lot more detailed things because it is a 30 to 40 hour game. Um, and Midgar in Final Fantasy VII was originally like a five-hour game, I think. So, I mean, it does have some new content to bulk it out. Some of it does feel a little bit like padding. Um, you are given at two or, no, three times during the game, you're given side quests that you could do, like people want something completed for them. Most of these are very padded on side quests. Um, one of them, let me tell you how padded on they feel, how much of fetch quests they feel like. One of them is a little girl, this is one of the first ones you get, who says her cats are missing. She has three cats, they're missing, and you're told, hey, if you wander around Sector 7 slums, you could hear them meowing. So listen for a meow, and you're supposed to run around the slums, no clue on where to go, really, and you might hear, meow. And if you hear that, then you have to go and find the cat, and then it will run off. 
And you had to do that three times, no indication of where you should go. You just have to do it three times. And then you go back to the girl and you go, hey, your cats all ran away. And then the cats show up and she's like, yay. And then you get some reward. They have fetch quests that are a lot like that. Most of them are pretty dumb. There's one or two where you fight like special uh, monsters, special uh, bonus monsters, bonus bosses. So a few of them are really cool. Some of the rewards are kind of nice. So the game itself looks fantastic. It is a really cool game. I really enjoyed it. Um, the story was really good. The way they updated certain elements. If you remember the Honey Bee Inn from the original game, they updated how that works. It's a lot less problematic because in the original... It had some very problematic things dealing with trans, dealing with um, queer, dealing with, well, pretty much a lot of things dealing LGBTQ that they mm, got kind of gross. Going back to play that part, you kind of want to rush through it because it's gross. In this game, they kind of update it in a way where it's, it's good. It feels really good. The way they did a lot of things just feels more appropriate. The voice acting is pretty good. Aerith is ridiculously, like, silly in a great way. Um, Barrett is still kind of problematic in a sense. He is kind of an idiot. I really, I don't know, wish they would have tweaked his personality just a little because he's kind of an idiot. But the game overall, it's really good. I did not care for the combat. Some people did, some people didn't. I personally loved Final Fantasy XV's combat. I did not like the combat for Final Fantasy VII Remake. I found it, I found a lot of fights were way too long. So like when I played through the demo, the demo covers the first chapter of the game. And when I played through the demo, the first boss, the boss of the demo, you could get the demo for free if you have a PS4. Try it out. See if you'll like it. That boss took way too long. I don't have the time to spend a half hour or more on a boss. A boss should take longer than a normal fight, but not so long that I do not have time for it. So because of that, I changed the game to easy. I didn't put on uh, classic, but on easy. Easy is pretty easy. Um, it wasn't until, like, the last third of the game that I started having to heal in battles, but I still had to heal in battles. Like, it's not so easy that it's just button mashing, but it takes out some of the tedium of longer fights. Um, like I said, I really did like Final Fantasy XV's combat, so I don't know what it is about this that I did not enjoy the combat, but I really didn't. The rest of the game, though, the story, all of that, I really did enjoy. So, you know, take that for what you will. It's a pretty good game. If you are nostalgic for Final Fantasy VII, it is really cool. I was never the biggest fan of FF7. I was a FF6 person and FF9. FF4 is also great. Never a FF7 like Stan. I liked it more than FF8 and FF10. So I have good taste is what I'm saying. So Final Fantasy VII... It was a good enough game, though, and this makes me excited to see what do we get in the next chapter of the FF7 remake. I want to see it, and unfortunately, we'll probably not see it for like another decade. I mean, this is going to be a game, is 
I have a bad feeling this is going to be a lot like, um, oh, this is going to be, hold on one second, hit and pause. This feels a lot like it's going to be kind of like Kentucky Route Zero, where to get all of the chapters out is going to take way too long. So unfortunately, I am fearful of ever seeing this game fully completed. I'm really hoping but at the same time, we have a new console generation coming around. Having a new console generation in the middle of a multi-part remake thing like this could complicate things and delay it even further. So, I don't know. I really hope it finishes. I really do want to see where it goes. I like how they are presenting most of the characters. And I really, I'm intrigued to see how certain characters will be, such as, well, the remaining ones that I haven't seen yet. I'll say I haven't really seen Kate Sith. I have not seen Yuffie. I have not seen Vincent. I have not seen Sid. I want to see how all of them except Sid are. Never really cared for Sid. He's the old man of the group at, like, 30. 30 going on 80. I never was really a fan of him. But anyways... I really want to see where this goes. It is well worth the purchase. It is a lot longer than I thought it'd be. The padding is mostly not bad. My only real complaint is sometimes when transversing different areas, you move slower than it feels like you should. I think the movement in Final Fantasy XV, as well as the combat, is a lot more solid than the FF7 remake. But the story is really good. It's almost what if Final Fantasy VII was a Yakuza game. That's what the story is like. Because there's a silly level to things that are so Yakuza in feel. If you're a fan of the Yakuza games and Final Fantasy VII, this is like the best of both worlds. One last game I have started playing. I don't have much to say. I bought Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, on Steam because it was on sale. Um, Square put a bunch of their games on sale. Um, and so Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, I started playing it. I'm only 30 minutes in, but... Oh my god, it looks like a Kickstarter project. I get it. It's an update smoothing out the visuals, but having the old school PS2 era visuals and all of that. So it kind of looks like a Kickstarter game, and it looks like a Kickstarter ripoff of the Star Wars uh, prequel movies. Oh, there's a lot of, like, prequel-looking spaceships with gun turrets, and it looks like we're having a fight on Naboo. Like I said, I'm not far enough in the game to really know what's going on, and I'll find out later. But for right now, yeah, um, it is, it is very much a relic of its time, I think. I do want to give it a fair shot. I've heard some real good things about it. I got it for half price, so... It's not the worst in the world, although at the same time, I think getting it at half price is appropriate because I don't think it's a $50 game. It's a $25 game. I'm sorry, it is not Final Fantasy VII Remake. It is Final Fantasy VII Port equivalent. It is Final Fantasy XII ported with slightly smoothed up graphics. It's not a whole redo. But I'll see where it goes. I'm intrigued. I do want to try playing it. Um, one complaint, because I have to have a real solid complaint, besides just saying it looks like a phone, uh, Star Wars prequel fan game. My one complaint, 
I'm playing on computer, on Steam, using an Xbox controller. There is no way to change the controls. B is yes, A is no. I do not like that. It is Nintendo controls, and I think Nintendo is the only company that should still be doing Nintendo controls. But anyways, I'm going to wrap things up right now. My dogs are barking. I think it's time for uh, drinking some coffee. Like I said, I have not had coffee yet this morning. I hope you are all staying safe. I hope you are socially distancing. I hope you're finding entertainment, reaching out to loved ones virtually. Call people. Make sure people know that you care. If anyone is a neighbor who is more at risk or might be going through something, find ways to do good for them. Also, look for ways to donate to charity if you have the means. And if you don't have the means and you do need help, reach out to people. You're not alone. We're all in this together, and we're only going to get through this together, together. I mean, that's as simple as you could put it. So I'll try and do another podcast when I have a bunch of material or just feel like it's been too long again. So I will talk to you later. Have a good time. Try to just be good. Stay safe. Stay sane. Find some good entertainment, play some Animal Crossing, some Final Fantasy VII Remake, you know, watch some some streamers on Twitch or YouTube, watch my streams if you want to laugh at me, I don't know. Find a game to speedrun, find a hobby or something like that, you know, take this time right now to do something new, to grow in some way. Anyways, I'm rambling. I end every stream when I stream a game by saying... Take care of each other, be good to each other, be the good you want to see in the world. And so I'm kind of ending that way. Good night, good morning, I don't know what time it is for you, right now it's morning for me, but be good to each other and stay safe, and we will meet again sometime in the future on this wacky internet. Goodbye.